I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. We started a new series last week called Seven. We're looking at the seven churches uh, in Revelation. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you also, uh, you may have seen this uh, new TV show that's been out. Uh, I guess it's uh, been here for a, a season or two. It's called God Friended Me. Have y'all seen that or heard of it? I've not seen the show myself, but I like the premise. It, uh, nobody writes letters anymore. Everybody's on social media. And so it's about uh, this atheist uh, radio personality who gets a friend request from God. And, uh, and we, uh, if you're on social media, you typically get a friend request and, and you have people writing in uh, and, and asking you about certain things. But like I said, nobody writes letters anymore. Uh, it's all on social media. But what would you think if you got friended by God? Or even better, what would you think if you got a letter from God? What would you think if you got a letter from Jesus himself? Would, uh, you, would his word bring commendation? Or would it bring condemnation? What would the letter from Jesus be addressed like towards you? And that's kind of a trick question because we do have a letter addressed to us. It's found here. There are several letters that we have. It's God's word and in the scriptures we have letters that speak to us. This God's love letter, you may have heard it described that way. It's God's letter to us and 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 we're looking at the last letter that Jesus uh, uh, wanted us to 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 grab onto the the book of Revelation and in the first uh, or in the in the uh, chapter two and chapter three it deals with seven churches that Jesus had a, a message for and John the apostle through Jesus or Jesus through John writes to these seven churches in Asia which is modern day Turkey and, and we found out last week that these letters are just as relevant, just as important today as they were to the, let, to the, to the churches that they were written to 2,000 years ago. And today we're going to be looking at the church in Smyrna. Not Smyrna, Tennessee, not Smyrna, Georgia, but Smyrna over in Turkey these days. Uh, and, uh, and so we're looking at the church in Smyrna, and it's only one of two churches uh, in, the, uh, in the seven churches that doesn't get a criticism, doesn't get a critique, or doesn't get a correction. And part of the reason is because this church is known for its suffering, for its struggle. It's known as a suffering church. And as we get into the message, you'll learn and understand why it's known as a suffering church. But let me give you a little background on the church in Smyrna and the city of Smyrna. See, Smyrna was a devoted city. It had a lot of temples to certain gods, to different gods, and, and the way it was situated is there was a hill with all of the temples on it uh, that kind of made a semicircle, and from a distance, it looked like uh, a, a head with a crown on it, and it was actually um, known, Smyrna became known as the crown of Asia. So it was a devoted city because it had all the temples to so many different gods. But the biggest thing that they were devoted to was emperor worship. They worshipped the emperor. Domitian, one of the emperors there, made it mandatory that everyone who was a citizen of, of Smyrna would, uh, would annually declare that Caesar is Lord. They would come into a, a public place, grab a pinch of incense and declare Caesar is Lord. And imagine that setting for a church. 
It'd be frustrating, wouldn't it? Because as Christians, who is Lord? Jesus. And, and to, to have to deal with that sort of, uh, uh, that sort of controversy and that sort of uh, criticism of, of who you believe to be Lord and, and the, the country saying you've got to declare that Caesar is Lord, it would be unnerving. It would even be scary. And let's take a look at what Jesus' words for the church at Smyrna is. It's in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says this, Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. And you'll, be, and you'll experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Would you join me as we pray? Father, as we read your word... God, I, I pray for those words that you spoke to Smyrna, the church in Smyrna. God, those words are still appropriate and still relevant to the church here at, in Florence, Alabama, in the Shoals, and in the United States, and all over the world. It is, it is specifically um, applicable to Lehites Baptist Church. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, study your word today, that you would land on our heart and that you would move us to be uh, men and women of God that you call us to be. That we would be the church that you call us to be. That you would allow us to experience you like never before. We want to experience Jesus today. And, and Lord, we know that some are here and they just kind of come to go through the motions. They're coming because they've always come to church. But Father, there may be someone here who has come because they have a need. And Father, I know that you want to meet that need. And Father, there are some that have come because uh, they need to know you and they need to be drawn close to you. And I, I pray, Father, that you would do that today. And Lord, we'll trust you to, to move the way that you see fit. And we trust that you will change lives the way you see fit. And Lord, I pray that you would mold this church and shape this church into the body of believers you want us to be. And Father, we'll give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, now... Jesus says through, again, through John, he says, the one who was dead and now came to life. He's talking about himself. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about his power over death. And, and he, it's interesting he begins the letter to Smyrna this way because Smyrna had been destroyed, actually been destroyed two times. And they were built back more beautiful each time. And so it was a very beautiful city. And, and it's interesting because Jesus comforted him comforted them saying I know that you've been destroyed but you've come back to life they were actually known as a city who had come back to life you know who else in this story had come back to life Jesus not just a Sunday school answer it's actually the correct answer Jesus is the one who came back to life and so he says hey I understand I know what it's like to be destroyed. I know what it's like to give your life to be destroyed for the, whole, for the sin of the whole world. But three days later, I'm alive again. Jesus gave them comfort and he addressed the problems that the Smyrna Christians faced. The first problem that they faced that he addressed was the problem of poverty. 
See, the church experienced affliction and poverty because the economic life was centered around Caesar worship, emperor worship. And what happened was uh, they, like I said before, they were required... Since Domitian, the emperor, said, made it uh, mandatory, they were required to go into a public place, take a pinch of, of uh, um, incense, and declare, Caesar is Lord. Well, and, and once they did that, they would be given a certificate of completion. It's almost like when you get something at the end of vacation Bible school. Here, here you go. They get one of those certificates of saying you did a really good job of declaring that Caesar is Lord. And so now they would take that uh, certificate and they could get a job. You could not get a job. You could not hold a job until, unless you had that certificate. So if, if you didn't declare publicly Caesar is Lord, you couldn't get a certificate, meaning you couldn't get a job, meaning you couldn't make any money. That's why... You were destitute. That's why they were poor. All because they wouldn't compromise in their faith. There was a problem of poverty. Now, we, we don't necessarily understand and know what poverty is like in this country. We are a very rich and wealthy uh, country. But there may soon come a day when Christian convictions may cost you financially. Just ask a Colorado baker who... who refused to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding because it violated his convictions. Now, if you followed that case uh, over the last few years, he, was, uh, uh, he, he won the Supreme Court case, but it still cost him financially. Are there times in your life when you considered being quiet, being silent, or even compromising your faith just to get along at work? Just to get along with people who you do business with, just to get along with people who you know disagree with your stance on faith, just so it'll be financially expedient. See, this is what the church in Smyrna dealt with. That's why they were a church in poverty. But there was also a problem of persecution. See, Jesus warned them because he said greater persecution is about to happen. It's not just that you're broke, you're also going to face persecution. And see, we don't really, fo- we don't really face persecution uh, in this uh, country either, do we? I mean, when we don't get our favorite parking spot or somebody's in our seat at church, man, we think we're persecuted, right? Come on, oh man, God, you've got to come through for me. They're sitting in my seat. Oh, gosh. No, these, these Christians in Smyrna were being slandered by what Jesus described as the synagogue of Satan. Pretty harsh words, don't you think? But, but these people who were part of the synagogue of Satan, Jesus used these words to describe the people who pretended to know Jesus, but they rejected the foundational truths, the foundational doctrines, things like the virgin birth. Uh, the substitutionary atonement, the gruesome death, the, the bodily resurrection, and the promised physical return of Jesus. They rejected all that, and they replaced them with rules and regulations, and, and they came up with laws that if you did not comply by their rules, their regulations, their laws, you would be persecuted. Listen, when you take a stand for Jesus, people will come out of the woodwork to criticize you. Sometimes even those closest to you, family members, people you work with, they'll slander you, they'll say false things against you. But you know, Jesus warned that that would happen. In fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in the 
in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 11, he said, you're blessed, Jesus himself is saying, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Doesn't sound like I'm blessed, right? We don't like those kind of things, but this is what Jesus said. Be glad and rejoice. Jesus, you're not making any sense here. I don't want to be glad and rejoice. I don't want anybody criticizing me. I don't want anybody persecuting me. But he said, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And scripture says, if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. That doesn't make a good bumper sticker, does it? Because we want everything to be rosy and wonderful. But Jesus said things are about to get worse. Have you ever been at the point where you think, ah, things can't get worse. It's really bad. Things can't get worse than they are right now. Maybe you get really sick. And you're thinking, man, I've got to get better to die. You ever felt like that? You've ever been that sick where you feel, man, I, I just it can't get any worse than this. And then your car breaks down. And then you lose your job. And everything spirals out of control. And you can't think, you think, well, things can't, surely can't get worse. Well, imagine being told after all this persecution, after all this poverty, Jesus says, hey, but wait, it's going to get worse. And he, and he goes on to say, you've already struggled with poverty and now you're, you're going to go from struggling to all-out suffering because they had to face the problem of prison. See, Jesus said, some of you are about to be thrown into prison for 10 days. Now, I want to I stop there and, and remind you that in Revelation, uh, 10 days does not always mean a literal 10 days. Revelation is a very metaphorical book. It's a very symbolic book. And, and in Scripture, numbers mean things. And 10 is a symbol of completion. And so what Jesus is talking about here is uh, in the symbolism of Revelation, it's that the number of 10 represent the, the number of completion, saying, don't be afraid of suffering for your faith. Because it's not going to be continuous. It's not going to go on forever. Those days will be completed soon. It's not endless. They'll be completed and your suffering will end. And so sometimes when people think, man, prison would be absolutely the worst. But let me remind you, some of the godliest people in history spent time in prison. Some of you are old enough to remember Watergate and Richard Nixon. And uh, Richard Nixon had uh, a man in his cabinet. Uh, his name was Chuck Colson. Now, Chuck Colson was a bad dude. He was his hatchet man. He was his Watergate guy. And so Chuck Colson was arrested and he got put in prison for a long time. But while in prison, he met Jesus and he began a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And throughout the rest of Chuck Colson's life, he spent time winning prisoners to Jesus and, and sharing the gospel all over the world. Chuck Colson is one who, who benefited spiritually from being in prison. Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, he spent many years in prison. In fact, he, he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament while he was in prison. So we had the problem of poverty, the problem of persecution, the problem of prison. And how would you like to be a member of that church? 
Not real excited, right? Hey, come to church, man, and be persecuted. Come to church. We're the poorest church in town. Can't even pay attention. Some of y'all get that later. I mean, that's not a great selling point for churches. The church is under a lot of pressure. Church of Smyrna is under a lot of pressure. But, but the church today is under a lot of pressure. All churches feel pressure. And I love what the missionary Hudson Taylor said. He said, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is and where it comes from. But what matters is, does the pressure move you closer to Christ or drive you away? When you are pressured, when you're going through struggles, when you're going through persecutions, when you're going through a tough time financially, does that draw you close to Christ or did it drive you away? Paul addressed this as well when he told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians verse four, or chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. See, the biggest problem with poverty and persecution in prison is the pressure that we feel. That, that's why Jesus writes this letter to encourage and give hope to the church in Smyrna. And he's also giving hope to the church right here, Lehites Baptist Church. See, some of you are living in prisons of the past. You can't escape the hurt from the past. Some of you are struggling with regret. You don't think God's grace is enough to pull you out of, of your old life. Some of you are overwhelmed by shame and you're struggling to find your true identity in Christ. Some of you are shackled by sin and failure. Some of you are living in a prison of religion. And you can't really see God do anything big or anything great because you're too busy keeping the rules. Prison would be a test for the Christians in Smyrna. And prisons and persecution and, and poverty and pressure, they're all, they're all tests for you and me right now today. And church, I want you to hear this. The pressure you face can either destroy you or develop you. What's it going to be? Because all of us are under pressure at some point, right? Some of you are under pressure. Will you let it destroy you or will you let it develop you? And, and that's what we, I believe that we can relate to in the church in Smyrna. And Jesus can relate to this church and Jesus can relate to the church in Smyrna. Because he went through suffering just like they did. And in the text we see... Jesus encourages the church in Smyrna in two different ways. He tells them, be fearless. Verse 10, he said, don't be afraid of what you think you're about to suffer. Stuff's about to happen. It's even worse than you can imagine. But you can handle it with his power. Be fearless. And Paul even told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 and 8, he said, Jesus hasn't given us a spirit of what? Fear. But one of power and love and sound judgment. And verse 8 says this. So, don't be ashamed of the testimony about my Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. 
See, when things get scary in your life, when things get overwhelming in your life, whose power are you depending on? Whose power are you relying on? I think if we're honest, we'd have to say, well, you know, I try and fix everything myself. We pray and we say, Jesus, take the wheel. But we don't take our hands off the wheel, do we? See, you can be fearless because the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you as a Christ follower and will sustain you through persecution and and, 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 um, the prisons that you face and all the pressures that come at us. So I want to encourage you, church, to be fearless. But also... Jesus encourages the church in Smyrna and, churches and, and, and he encourages our church as well to be faithful. See, the message of the cross isn't come to Jesus and everything's going to be alright. Everything will come up roses and everything will be wonderful and you won't ever have any more problems. Did y'all sign up for that? Didn't you, did somebody say, hey, if you just get saved, if you just come to Jesus, everything's going to work out fine. And it will in the end, but we're still living in a fallen world. See, the message of uh, the cross is not come to Jesus and everything's going to be blessed and easy. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. No, I don't love it. I hate it. Because Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. We quote that a lot, but man... That requires our whole life. Christians, we've never had to face it in in this nation. We've never had to face persecution. We've never had to die for our faith very much in this nation. We Unfortunately, we see that in other parts of the world. But as followers of Jesus, we've got to be fearless and faithful, even to the point of death. Are you willing to do that? I mean, if I said, hey, show of hands, how many of you are excited about... Laying your life on the line for your faith. I think we'd all raise our hands. But what happens when it comes to that point? I would hope that if we faced that, we would be like the Bishop of Smyrna in 155 AD. His name, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was actually a disciple of John who wrote Revelation. In 155 He was the pastor, he was the bishop, the overseer of the church in Smyrna. And and it came time for people to go into the public arena and declare Caesar is Lord. Polycarp didn't do that. And so some Roman bounty hunters came to collect Polycarp and drag him into the public square. And, And so as they come to get him in his home, they look at him and they said, this guy is old. And Polycarp says, hey, come on in. And he actually fixes them a meal and asks asks them if he could have an hour to pray before he goes with them. And so they they let him do that. And after an hour of prayer or a couple hours of prayer, he goes with them and and they take him into the arena and, and where everyone is waiting on the edge of their seats for him to declare those three words, Caesar is Lord. And as he entered the stadium with the guards, it's, it's reported that a voice from heaven uh, was heard saying, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. 
Other people heard the voice and, and Polycarp was brought up and he refused to deny Christ. He refused to say the word. He refused to take the incense and declare that Caesar is Lord. And, and the, the leaders there, they looked at him and said, Dude, you're an old man. Please just recant for a moment and save your own life. Consider yourself and have pity on your great age. Reproach Christ and I'll release you. And this is what Polycarp said. Eighty-six years I've served him and he's never wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so they threatened Polycarp to, to burn him at the stake. And Polycarp said this, what are you waiting for? Wow. And he said, leave me. They, they went to gather wood and, uh, uh, and, and they were preparing to, to tie him to the stake. And he said, leave me. He who will give me strength to sustain the fire will help me not to flinch from the pile. He said, you don't have to worry about me trying to get away. I'll stand right here and take it. So they lit the fire and Polycarp prayed this prayer. He said, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. Would you respond like Polycarp did? I, I would hope that I would. But if I'm honest, I'm not sure. I hope that we never face that kind of persecution in our land. But persecution in the early church was the fuel that caused people to be fearless and faithful. And I hope we never have to face it like that. But, but the que- that, that's not a good question. Would you, would you be okay? Or would you um, be faithful and fearless if faced with the same situation that Polycarp did? That, that's not even a good question. I think a better question is this. It's not, will you be faithful in the day your life is challenged? But a better question is, will you be faithful in the challenges of daily life? Because that's what you're going to face today. That's what you're going to face tomorrow. Jesus promised that the faithful would receive a crown of life. The victor's crown for a race well run. And those in Smyrna understood what crowns were because remember they were called the crown of Asia. And he said, if we're fearless and faithful and we conquer, his promise is that we never have to be harmed by the second death. Sure, we may give our lives physically through persecution, but we will never have to fear the second death. Physical death holds no power over us. It held no power over Polycarp. And it holds no power over us because of Jesus' resurrection. We can experience eternal life with him in glory. Imagine what it would be like if we lived our lives in this church, specifically Lee Heights Baptist Church, if we lived our life like Jesus encouraged the church in Smyrna to live. And you may think, well, that's Derek, that's just for the special forces. That's just for like professional Christians or, or, or Jesus freaks. Not really. No, the... The expectation and the determination of every Christian, every authentic Christian, is to be fearless and be faithful. So the question this morning is, how will you respond to the message that Jesus gives to the church in Smyrna? Because he's given you that message today to, to Lee Heights Baptist Church. Will you be fearless? Some of you this morning, you need to be fearless and step out in faith and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
You need to be fearless and say, I forsake everything that I've ever done and I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. And you fearlessly follow Jesus. Or some of you, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful to Christ and His Word? Will you forsake the past hurt and the, the little compromises and the hollow religious practices that you've been going through for years and years and years and then promise to follow Jesus faithfully and make that commitment? What is your decision? Who is Lord of your life? And just like Polycarp heard on the way, you and I need to play the man Play the woman. Stand up and be fearless. Stand up and be faithful. Let's pray together.